Hello, and welcome to the Pediatric Anesthesia Journal's Featured Article of the Month podcast for April 2021. My name is Dr. Devnath Chatterjee, and I'm one of the journal's education editors. This month's featured article is entitled, You Can't Make Me, Managing Adolescent Descent to Anesthesia. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome the corresponding author of this article, Dr. Adam Adler, who is a pediatric anesthesiologist at Texas Children's Hospital and the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And the first author of this article, Ms. Brittany Bryant, who is a fourth year medical student at the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Brittany will be joining the anesthesiology family as she awaits the results of her match tomorrow. Welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting us, Dave. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be here. Thank you. We're excited to be on this podcast. So let's get started. You describe a scenario where an anxious adolescent withdraws assent at the very last minute to undergo an elective procedure, a colonoscopy in this case. What prompted you and your colleagues to write this article? So this was a challenging situation, but one that is not rare. The purpose was to invite thought on a non-medically specific yet challenging perioperative situation. So can you discuss the concept of age of majority when patients can consent for themselves? So the age of majority is actually a legal definition and it serves to delineate when a person is legally an adult as compared to the age of minority in which the person is considered to be a minor according to the law. This age of majority varies by uh, country. And in medicine, the age of majority is the most common determinant of when a person consents for their own medical care. So it looks like it's 18 years in most states. You also mentioned the rule of sevens to assess decision-making capacity. Can one of you please explain those rules for our listeners? Yes. The rule of sevens is a common framework to guide how much or little we should consider the child in the decision-making process. So when we use this rule, typically children under the age of seven are presumed to lack decision-making capacity and we do not specifically seek their assent. Patients between the ages of seven and 14 are still presumed to lack decision-making capacity. However, providers should attempt to obtain the child's assent, particularly for children that are developmentally appropriate. Adolescents, those older than 14, should generally be treated as if they do have decision-making capacity. While the parent or caregiver provides consent, the provider would need a valid reason to proceed with the treatment against an adolescent patient's wishes. While this model is conceptually simple, pediatric patients do exist on a complex spectrum of understanding and maturity for which this model doesn't always account. So it appears to me that assessing decision-making capacity in children and adolescents is complex. So what are the different factors we should consider while making this decision? Yes, so assessing decision-making capacity is a complex process. When determining decision-making capacity, there are four standards that a patient needs to meet, expressing a choice, understanding, reasoning, and appreciation. So expressing a choice is the first step whereby the person must communicate a preference. While there's many factors like emotional state, cognition, disease process that can limit a patient's ability to communicate this choice, this standard is typically met early in development. Even young children can be quite capable of expressing whether or not they want to do something. The idea of understanding requires the ability to comprehend the information and grasp that a choice needs to be made. Reasoning then builds an understanding requiring the individual to think rationally about the risks, benefits, 
potential alternatives, and the outcomes that would come through each treatment path. And then appreciation further builds upon reasoning, but this is very abstract and it can be a little bit difficult to determine in the clinical environment. A patient must recognize the clinical facts of the situation as well as all feasible options and consider within the context of their individual situation. So all four of these standards need to be met for a patient to have decision-making capacity. And it's important to note that children develop these skills at different times and the clinical situation, whether by stress or disease process can also affect a patient's ability to meet these standards. So while it's not as clear cut as the rule of sevens, these four standards serve as a guide in determining the decision-making ability of a minor. So well said, Brittany. Um, it can actually be very challenging to assess these complex ideas, particularly in a busy perioperative environment and with limited interaction with the patient and their family. These ideas may help frame questions to the dissenting adolescent such that they can be asked about why they are having the procedure, what they understand about the benefits of the procedure, and of course, asking them to explain back to you the risks of not having the procedure. Thank you so much for explaining that. Going back to your patient, can you briefly describe the case scenario and how you handle it? So in this situation, given the patient's age, her degree of maturity, and now the fact that she has withdrawn her assent, we returned to the preoperative area and asked her mother to return as well. So even though the procedure was medically necessary, uh, the patient initially provided assent and then the mother signed the consent, you would not recommend proceeding with the case. Is that accurate? Correct. So this case was uh, necessary, albeit not emergent. Therefore, delaying the case to invite some further discussion with the parent or legal guardian did not place the child at any increased risk. Given the ability to defer the procedure, at least for the moment, it is important to consider and respect the adolescent's developing autonomy. Forcibly sedating this mature adolescent against her will can also impact her future trust in the medical system, as well as compliance with further medical care. Certainly, if an adult were to withdraw their consent or assent at any time, nobody would see that as strange, um, a strange thing to do. So what if this procedure was a surgical emergency, such as a bleeding tonsil or a laparotomy for a bowel perforation? So a true surgical emergency would actually be an exception. In this case, the parental authority and decision to proceed would be honored. Uh, certainly for a previously non-medically complex child that would be expected to make a complete recovery, uh, even the parental refusal to consent may not be honored if it was not in the child's best interest. Uh, in this scenario, when the parental consent is in the child's best interest, even in the face of adolescent descent, the procedure should really commence. I believe there are some exceptions to the adolescent decision-making authority, and one of them is being an emancipated minor. Can one of you please explain that further? Yes. So emancipation is a legal process that allows adolescents to provide consent or refusal for their own medical care. So situations where this would apply include minors that are living separate from their parents and support themselves financially, as well as minors that are married or active duty in the military. When treating these patients, they provide their own consent and consent is no longer obtained from their parent or caregiver. So separate from the general concept of emancipation, Adolescent patients are also legally able to consent to medical care directly related to sexual activity, which includes treatment of sexually transmitted infections, contraceptive services, and prenatal care, as well as treatment related to mental health and substance use. As you know, in the United States, emancipation laws vary by state. In some states, patients who do not qualify for emancipation may be considered mature minors. What is the difference? 
So the mature minor principle applies to adolescents who are not legally emancipated from their parents. This would be a situation where you have a non-emancipated adolescent patient who demonstrates maturity, intelligence, full decision-making capacity, so meeting the four standards that we talked about, in a very specific medical situation where their healthcare choice contradicts their parents' wish or their preference is made without consulting their parents. So this doctrine has typically been applied when a minor is 16 or older and if the procedure is not urgent or emergent if we're talking about a case of a child refusing care. So just to summarize, an emancipated minor is legally able to make all decisions similar to a person who has reached the age of majority, while a mature minor is given the ability to make a medical decision for themselves in a very narrow context. Thank you so much, Dr. Adler and Ms. Bryant. This has been a lovely discussion. Uh, good luck with the match tomorrow, Ms. Bryant. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat, and we look forward to more contributions from you and your team. Thank you so much for having us today. Yes, thank you so much for inviting us to participate. Well, this wraps up our featured article of the month podcast for April 2021. This article will be available for free on the journal's website soon. Follow us on Twitter at Pediatric Anist. Please join us again for next month's featured article of the month. Until then, cheers.